Amen. Well, hey, I know this might be a tough question, okay? But how many guys had a good Christmas, right? It's a couple of days ago, that's right. And how many guys were filled with that uh, great Christmas joy and that unity and that, and that hope that we saw last week that if you really celebrate Christmas for what it truly is, the true meaning of Christmas, that's what you get, right? And, and as we saw, the good news was it wasn't just for two days ago, okay? If you celebrate Christmas for the right reason, okay, Jesus and why he came, then you could have that great Christmas joy and hope and unity all year round. Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that an incredible gift? Well, I think so, and, uh, but believe it or not, folks, it gets even better than that, okay? I'm going to share with you one more aspect that I think, man, this should bless your socks off every single day of the year. Now, the problem is, again, as we saw last week, most people in the world, uh, dare I say, even in the church, don't even celebrate Christmas, okay, like that, and, and the irony is they say on the one hand, oh, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus, I get that, but if we're honest with ourselves, it has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus, really, It has to do with this. Let's take a look. Gotta have the Christmas spirit with some brand new rims. You know, I just want to cruise around flossing my rims. Do you think you have too many toys? Yeah. Well, how did that happen? Because... I've had my life threatened. I've had people try to beat me up. I had a woman who was about 60 years old cuss me out and spit on me for not having a PS3 for her six-year-old grandson. Leading the fight is Reverend Billy. Reverend Billy, say that. Reverend Billy. Billy, you call it the shopocalypse. The shopocalypse. It's like an apocalypse in shopping. Drive the demons out of those cash registers. The church of Stop Shopping are on a cross-country mission to save us from our shopping sins this holiday season. Give us the power to stop shopping! Amen! These products are taking over our lives! As fall turns to winter across this nation, many millions will converge on centers of worship, large and small, to celebrate and give thanks to a familiar God. He tells us to buy now and pay later. He tempts us with promises of endless credit as he leads us down the path to eternal debt. Tis the season to be shopping. There's just one more thing you have to do before the end of the year, and that is shop yourself silly. We're saying, you know, look, we can't just let the terrorists win and just stay home. Millions of Americans are hitting the stores. Tradition on this Black Friday is get out and shop until you drop. We used to be a nation of producers and are now a nation of consumers. American stores could already fit every man, woman, and child in North America, South America, and Europe inside them at one time. Toys and Elmo and PlayStation 3. Love Elmo. Gadgets, appliances, toys. a gift for you guys. Flat panel TVs are big this year. We have to have that or it won't be a happy holiday. For the first time since the Great Depression, Our household personal savings rate is below zero, and 60% of us are in long-term debt on our credit cards. 
purchases. We now spend under one hour a week in religious or spiritual time and over five hours a week shopping. Over 15 million Americans may be clinically addicted to it. People saw that there is very limited supply and they were behaving like animals. Mm. I just like to say, as I always say, sometimes I enjoy my diamond ring much more than I enjoy my husband. If you feed something that she doesn't like, she says, oh, mommy, I don't like that. If she actually goes potty. You know people will run over a pregnant woman to get to the item they want. There is no, no surprise there. Three quarters of us view Christmas with more dread than anticipation. Yet we'll spend half a trillion dollars on Christmas this year. Only 30 days of shopping till Christmas. Stop it! Slow down your consumption! Boy, that's the question. What would Jesus buy? Probably none of that junk. <laughs> Excuse me. Folks, you take a look at this uh, track record here in the United States. I don't know about you, but it really appears that we have missed it on what Christmas is really all about. Okay, we have gotten way off track. Okay, so just two days after Christmas, I want to remind us one more time here at Sunrise, the true meaning of Christmas. Now, believe it or not, folks, did you know that it is better than a brand new set of rims? Did you realize that? Okay, and even the diamond ring. I can't believe that lady said that. Can you believe that? And uh, I know, hey, listen, that latest dude, what was that squirrely looking alien looking thing or whatever? The Elmo. Hey, did you know Christmas is better than Elmo? Let's close in prayer. No, let's move on. Okay. Uh, it's about celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Listen, coming into this world, listen, not just what we saw last week. He has come to give us not just for one day of the week, but every single day of the year. Awesome joy, awesome unity, and awesome hope. Listen, Jesus, I wanted to give you one more, has come. I hope you haven't lost sight of this. He has come to give us a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe for free. Isn't that amazing? But again, don't take my word for it. That's what Christmas is supposed to be all about. Okay, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Let's take a look and begin that journey. Okay, why did Jesus come? Why was he born to this world? All right, let's take a look at that. Matthew chapter 2. And if you find uh, the book of Matthew, what do you do? Go to chapter 2. Bobby, you are on the ball. Tell you what, you're going to make the rest of the interns jealous. Woo! Anyway, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Take a look at uh, just shortly after the birth of Jesus Christ and the response of the people uh, to his birth. Okay, why did he come? Okay, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's take a look at what the Bible says to you and I. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi uh, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and we've come to what? Worship him. Well, when King Herod heard this, he, he was what? He was disturbed and, and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because somebody's going to come threaten your authority and take your place. Oops. Okay. 
They weren't glad about his coming. So when he called together the people, uh, the, the people's chief priests and, and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means uh, least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, uh, make a careful search for the child. And, and as soon as you find him, report him to me that I may too go and worship him. Yeah, right. You want to kill him. Okay. Now, after that, they heard the uh, the king. They they went on their way, and and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the, the, they went there and they saw uh, the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and what? Worshiped him. Then listened in response. Then they uh, opened their treasures, okay, and presented him Jesus with gifts. What's the gifts? Of gold and incense, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route, okay? Now, I'm assuming that most of us are familiar with this passage of Scripture uh, surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ shortly thereafter, okay? Especially every time this year around Christmas time, okay? But here's my point. Tucked away in this passage, I believe, is a very important clue as to the true meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of the first coming of Jesus Christ into this world, and that is this, to have a personal, divine, intimate, beautiful, loving relationship with Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, Okay, and the reason why I say that is because of the phrase there, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is what most people miss, okay? And I want to share that with you today. I'll never forget the first time in my office I came across this old Jewish customs and mannerism book, right? And if you want to study the Bible, you not only got, as Brian said in the Sunday school class, you got to understand Greek, but you got to understand the customs and mannerisms, okay? Because how many guys live like a Jewish person today? Right? So if you want to understand the Bible written back then, you need to enter into their culture. Then you can understand what they're talking about and apply it to today, okay? So I've always kind of big, big on this. I got six or seven of these books in my office. I'm always scrounging for another one. But this is one of the oldest ones I got. And it's a Jewish customs and manners book. And this particular one, I was looking up one day the Jewish customs for Jewish marriages, their ceremonies. Okay, and, and in one part, it talks about the items that the bride and groom would adorn themselves, listen, specifically just before their marriage ceremony. And can anybody guess what three items, exact three items that the Jewish groom would adorn himself when it was time to go get his bride? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Blew me away. It's like, whoa, to go get his bride, that relationship. And I'm sure you guys have heard sermons uh, that would say that, you know, the gold was used for monetary purposes to aid in his flight when he went to Egypt, okay? And, and the frankincense and myrrh were used as symbolic of his death to come, and it could be. I'm not discounting that. But I find it very interesting that it just so happens that the Bible talks about you and I being called the bride of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he was born, the first thing that they gave him as gifts, dare I say, to institute, here's why he's here. He was given the exact same three items that a Jewish groom needed to wear, to have, right before he went and got his bride. Do you really think that's by chance? I don't think so, okay? And this is what I really think we should be busting in praise over, why we should be getting excited. This is why we should be celebrating. 
The good news that Jesus Christ has come so that you and I could listen, not just have hope and unity and joy, but to remind us why he's come, that through Jesus Christ, we who were once estranged from God, not just headed from he- to, to hell, we were estranged from God. Jesus made a way that we could have a beautiful, intimate, listen, bride-like relationship. Now that's intimacy. With who? God, the creator of the universe. And believe it or not, that passage in Matthew is just the tip of the iceberg of this evidence of the true meaning of Christmas, the first coming of Jesus, if you continue to study Jewish customs and mannerisms, especially the marriage ceremony, you're going to see, I believe, that Jesus went to great lengths to drill this into our heads. Don't you ever forget why I'm here, why you should so be excited. I've come to make a way that you can have a bride-like, awesome relationship with me. Not some dry, still, man-made religion, boring ritual, blah, but an everyday, exciting, wonderful relationship. Okay? And you get that when you take a look at the seven phases of a Jewish marriage ceremony. Let's do that. The first phase is called the shidokin or the match. Okay? The shidokin or the match. Now, uh, young ladies, pay attention. Okay? You need to be nice to dad. Okay? Because unlike uh, today, Jewish marriages uh, were typically arranged by the fathers. Okay? Again, be nice to dad. If you want a good husband, okay? And what the father would do is the father would literally go get a person, hire a person, uh, uh, arrange for a person. They were called the matchmaker. That's where we kind of get that. Have you ever noticed that when you're a single guy in the church? What does everybody want to do? The older ladies. It's matchmaker time. We got to set him up, right? <laughs> right? And that's where we kind of get that terminology. The Jewish marriage is the father would pick it, but he'd go get a matchmaker to go find a bride for the son. And guess what? That's exactly what the Bible says God has done for you and I. We didn't choose him. He chose us. He matched us together. John 15, 16 says, you did not, Jesus speaking, you did not choose me, but who chose us? He did. He's the one that set up the match. In fact, the father did this. John 6, 37 and 44. All that the father, what? Gives me, will come to me. No one can come to my father unless the who? The father who sent me draws him. Okay. And I don't know about you, but it just so happens to be that uh, the Bible says, folks, that God is the one who is taking the initiative. It is God who is the one who has matched us, chosen us to be with Jesus Christ, okay? And if you think about this, folks, this is really, in essence, what we're doing as a Christian. We are actually doing this when we get saved. We are accepting Jesus' love proposal to what? To join in this new religion. (laughs) We are actually accepting his love proposal to be matched to him forever. God set the whole thing up to whosoever. You want to be matched with my son? I did it all for you. And when we say yes, you're going, yes. I want to be matched, what? Married, have an intimate relationship with Jesus forever. Now, here's what's cool. Sometimes the match occurred uh, when they were both children. Okay, set up a long time ago. Uh, Sometimes it occurred a year just before the marriage itself. Okay, but then oftentimes the bride and groom, they wouldn't even see each other until their wedding day. And did you know that's exactly the stage where we're at? Did you know the Bible talks about you and I waiting for our marriage to Jesus Christ in great expectation, even though we don't see him now? This is what I believe Peter is talking about here. First Peter chapter one, verse eight. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you what? You love him, right? And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with absolute doubt and fear. and No, inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because right now we're waiting for our marriage. We're waiting for that to be consummated. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to come back and get us. Exactly like a Jewish marriage ceremony. We're excited. We should be excited every day because it's another day closer to our wedding day. 
with Jesus. Okay? Now, the second phase, okay, in the Jewish marriage ceremony is called the mohar or the bride prize. Okay, the mohar or the bride prize. Now, right after the match was uh, set up, okay, and was made, a bride prize or a mohar was hashed out between the two parties over the value of the bride. Okay? And believe it or not, that's exactly the same terminology that the Bible uses about the bride price that Jesus paid for you and I to have this intimate bride-like relationship with him. And this is what we see in these passages of Scripture. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 6.20, You are what? You are not your own. This is not your life. You have been bought. The bride price has been paid. Listen, for you have been bought with a price. Well, what did he use to buy us? Listen to this, 1 Peter 1.18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, but with the precious blood of what? Of Jesus Christ. Jesus bought us <clears throat> with his blood. And you think about that, man, I don't know about you, but I'd say that's a pretty high bride price to pay. Man, when you got engaged to your wife, did you give her your blood? Say no, because that's kind of weird. Okay. <laughs> but this is God. This is Jesus. He gave his life. He spilled his blood so that we can be, listen, bought. And when you're bought by Jesus, you're bought forever. It's absolutely secure. But I don't know if he paid that big of a price for us. I'd say he loves his bride an awful bunch. Amen. So he paid the bride price with his own blood. The third phase is what's called the matan. The matan or the love gifts is what that means in the Hebrew there. Okay, now in this phase, the, the groom would offer the bride uh, gifts to her. Okay, even though he didn't have to. It was completely voluntary. He didn't have to do it. It was simply an expression of his love for her, looking forward to that marriage, okay? And when you look in the Bible, folks, I don't know about you, but uh, Jesus gave us some pretty awesome love gifts, okay? And keep in mind, it's, it's voluntary, all right? And the first one, obviously, he gives us is called the gift of eternal life. Did you know Jesus didn't have to go to the cross? Right? But he willingly did it. He submitted. Remember, not my will, but thine, Father's, yours be done. And so out of that, he gives us this love gift called eternal life. John 10, 27 through 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them what? Eternal life to them, and they shall listen, never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of hand. How many of you guys would say that's awesome? Isn't, it, isn't that always the fear in a relationship? Right, that somehow something's going to go wrong. They're going to leave me. They're going to ditch me, or it's not going to work out. Or what about this? Blah, blah, blah. Isn't that always a thing? But when you get married to Jesus Christ, He gives you a love gift, and that first love gift is: listen, nothing is going to hinder our relationship. I did it all for you. You can't lose it. It's secure. You got me forever. Isn't that wonderful news? And it was voluntary. Okay, but not only that, he gives us peace, his peace, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace, Jesus says, I give to you. He gives us full forgiveness of sins, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will, not maybe, he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from how much? All unrighteousness, and no wonder. Then he gives us his joy, John 15, 11. I have told you this so that who's Jesus my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In fact, in the Greek, it's really awesome there. It literally means bubbling over uh, to the top, running over. You can't stop it. There's so much of it. You can't even contain yourself. It's super upper abundance joy in the Greek is what he gives to you and I. But these are all gifts that are voluntary. He did not have to give. The groom did not have to give these love gifts. And when you pile all these together, the love gifts we got from Jesus Christ, I don't know about you. But I'd say, boy, he surely does love us, doesn't he? Man, does he love us. He just heaps the blessings upon us. 
And he didn't have to. He didn't have to, okay? The fourth phase is called the Shilohim or the dowry. The Shilohim or the dowry. Now, in this phase, the father of the bride will give her gifts. So she's kind of making out like Amanda, right? She's getting some from the groom. Now she's getting some from her dad, right? And now the purpose of these, the other ones, the Matan, they were the voluntary love gifts, right? Just want to say an expression of his love for her. But these from the father were specific gifts. And these specific gifts were to equip her, okay, for her new life uh, uh, with the groom, right? And so he gave her like a, a blender and a dishwasher and a, no, that's not what he did, okay? Okay, believe it or not, when it comes to God, he gives us something better than a blender, Amen. Okay, God the Father, he gives us something absolutely awesome. Now, remember the purpose of the dowry. The purpose of the dowry was to help equip us with our new life, with our husband was the purpose. And let's take a look at what the Bible says. He's first of all gave us the spirit to live for him, right? So that you can live for Jesus Christ. John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, that is the spirit of truth. So he gives us the ability to live for him. I mean, that's that's. That's some serious equipping. He also gives us spiritual gifts, specific gifts to get busy serving Jesus. Romans 12, 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And we all know that when God gives us gifts, they just sit around to collect dust. And we stare at them and stick them on the mantle. No, the purpose of the gifts is to get busy out of love for Jesus, serving him by serving others with the gifts he's given us. Okay, They're to equip us and to equip the church. Okay, But I've shared this before. This is really cool. He's given us an engagement ring engagement ring to remember him this is in second corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 through 22 now he god who established us with you in christ and anointed us is god who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a what a pledge now what's interesting is the greek word there for pledge is our bone in the greek and it literally means engagement ring now isn't that cool and we talk about the different aspects of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit from God, that at the moment when you're saved, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you're sealed for the day of redemption. But the word that the Bible uses, it, oh, it's also God's promise, his engagement ring, that he is never, ever, ever going to renege on his promise. You got the Holy Spirit of God in you, you're going to get there. Isn't that absolutely wonderful? And that's what we get from there. Okay, and, and, and so that's the fifth phase. Let's take a look at the ketubah. It's called the ketubah or the contract. Now, that's not a new instrument that Ken's going to start playing next week, okay? Uh, even though he is talented, and so is Robert. Get it for Robert today. Where's he at? Did a great job. And, uh, but the ketubah or the marriage contract, and in this phase, the marriage was legally formalized, okay? And it was legally formalized by a written contract, okay? And that contract was called the ketubah. And in this contract, specifically recorded the bride price, the promises of the groom, and the rights of the bride. And can anybody guess what the Bible has recorded for you and I? In the New Testament, New Covenant, New Contract. That's what that word means. He's recorded for us our ketubah. And this is what Jesus talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. In the same way, he, Jesus, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant contract, ketubah, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay? And little do we realize that every single time that we take communion, it should be a reminder of us, not only of the wonderful, uh, the, the body that was broken on our behalf, Jesus, the blood that was shed on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins, but it should be a reminder of our ketubah, of our marriage contract with Jesus. 
right? That should be also. It's not, not just, hey, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, and we get to go through this symbolic act with the, the, the bread and the wine, okay? But, oh, by the way, how am I doing with my marriage contract to Jesus? How's my ketubah? Am I living up to it? Am I honoring it? Have I forgotten about it? Has it become a stale, boring religion? Or am I still excited about that contract I have with Jesus? And again, he signed that marriage contract in his own blood, so how many guys would say it's pretty secure? Very secure, okay? The sixth phase is what's called the kiddushin or the betrothal. The kiddushin or the betrothal. Now, at here, the marriage contract, it was signed. The couple, as soon as it was signed, became what was called legally married or betrothed is the word. A betrothed couple for all practical legal purposes at that point, okay, was considered married, okay? Even though they hadn't consummated, they were legally married, okay? Uh, and, And this is why it was big news when Mary became pregnant, right? As we read in the gospels and Joseph reacted the way he did because they were betrothed. They were legally married, okay? They hadn't consummated the marriage yet, and so he thought that Mary was being unfaithful. That's why God sent him another angel to clue him in. No, 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 listen. I know it's what it appears, but what is born of her, she wasn't being unfaithful to you, okay? She's a servant of God, and she is going to give forth the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What is born of is of the Holy Spirit, okay? But during this betrothal period, that's why Joseph reacted the way he did, okay? But, and think about that. Think about the character of Joseph right there. Because he knew that, Mary knew that, the real purpose of this pregnancy. Their friends and family and society probably didn't, by and large. A lot of them. Can you imagine the scorn? Can you imagine the mockery? Not just upon her, but upon him. What are you doing with a woman who committed adultery? But that wasn't true. But that's what they thought. And the character of him to stick it out all the way through. That's just kind of cool, okay? But the betrothal period, okay, the betrothal period was a time of preparation, okay, for both the bride and the groom, okay? And uh, even though they were legally married, they did not live together. And the reason why is because they had to make preparations for their new life together. Now, the bride had to, during this time, demonstrate her purity, okay? Demonstrate her purity. And she underwent, first of all, what was called a mikvah. Uh, we saw that on Wednesday nights, if you were here, a mikvah, a ritual cleansing bath. And can anybody guess uh, who the Bible said has cleansed us uh, and made us clean for our wedding? Uh, Jesus, okay? And that's what we see in this passage of Scripture. 1 John 1, 9, again, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just. He will not just forgive us of our sins, but what's he going to do? If you will, a spiritual mikvah, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. So he's the one that we get our purity from as his bride. But it wasn't just demonstrate her purity. Listen, the bride had to demonstrate her faithfulness, that she was faithful to him, okay, and that she was not pregnant. Again, the way Joseph initially reacted, okay. And what she would do is she would often wear a veil when she stepped out in public of her house to indicate that she was out of circulation, She was set apart to a particular man. She was already spoken for. She is no longer available. Why? Because she's been bought with a price. She's been, listen, set apart for her bridegroom. She's consecrated for him. Listen, and she didn't just go out in public and make it very clear to everybody else, you can't have me. I'm not available. I'm off the market. But as we know, people still try, don't they? And so she would not just send a signal that I'm not available anymore. But she would steadfastly resist any offers that would come her way 
because she was true to the faithful one, the one who loved her, who bought and paid the bride price for her. She was going to be true to him to the end. She was his and his alone. Listen, in Hebrew, she was called a Makudashet, okay? A Makudashet, and meaning one who was betrothed, who was sanctified, dedicated to one another. Nobody could break us apart. Now, this is what's wild. Did you know that's where we're at right now? And as Christians, we need to be a faithful Makudashet a faithful bride of Jesus Christ. And that we need to not just say, hey, I'm a Christian, but we need to resist any offers that come our way that try to steal away our love for him. A Makudashet. Sin, this wicked world, false teachers, false teaching, we are set, uh uh-uh, you ain't gonna get me. I'm a Makudashet. I am faithful to the one who bought me. You can't steal my love for him. That's where we're at. In fact, that might answer some of the things why Paul uses verbiage like this in the scripture. We see this in 2 Corinthians eleven two. For Paul says, for I am jealous. Listen to this. That's like a relational word. I'm jealous uh, for you with a godly jealousy because I what? What's the word? I betrothed you, just like in Jewish marriage, somebody, to one husband, who? Jesus Christ. That I might present to you as a what? A pure virgin is what he says there okay with you and i he wants us to be presented to jesus one who wasn't getting caught up in sin and false teaching and false teachers in this wicked world system he wanted us to be a faithful mkudashet okay that we're faithful to jesus all the way to the end now that's what the uh, bride did during her preparation they were already married they were betrothed she needs to demonstrate her purity and her faithfulness now the groom he had his things to do as well and and the first thing that was kind of cool is the groom he was exempt for one year from military service. Isn't that cool? Okay. And here's the purpose. Here's why they do it. Okay. Quote, to bring happiness to his wife. And all the ladies said, amen. Okay. Right. That's Deuteronomy 24. Okay. And believe, and the Jewish sages said that this guy had to quote, harvest a vineyard. Okay. He had to bring home the bacon. All right. And so in essence, the groom, he had to prove during this time, his, his preparation, he had to listen set things up to prove that he could bring home the bacon and take care of this woman. How different that is today in people's ideas of relationships. You need to be a man. You need to get out there, get a job, and take care of this woman. This is before you consummated the marriage, right? And if you had to do that first before you consummated your marriage, there's a little bit of an initiative to get her done. Do you see the wisdom? Now, the other wisdom that's there, he didn't just have to go out there and get a job and prove that he can bring home the bacon and take care of the woman. He had to build a house, okay? He had to build a house, okay? And he had to build a house. It was called the bridal chamber. Now, the bridal chamber uh, wasn't on some desert island. It wasn't in some mountain retreat, you know, far away. It was an addition onto the father's house, okay? And it sounds kind of weird, but the idea that the Jewish people have is a sense of community. You got your great-grandfather and your uh, grandfather and you know, father and the kids and the grandkids and the great grand everybody living together okay was the idea of community and family in the jewish culture and still is today and it was here that they would once he made this bridal chamber okay addition on the father's house they would consummate their marriage they would settle down and live together an addition onto the father's house now what's wild is that's exactly what jesus said he's doing for you and i right now he uses the exact same verbiage and this is what we see uh in this next passage of scripture here uh in john 14 2 to 3 jesus said in my what father's house are what many dwelling places why because there's a lot of people who are being born again 
right? Now, Jesus said, I'm, not, I'm building you a secret place. It's all your, yours, right? And how many times do we say that? Yeah, when I get to heaven, I'm going to live over here on this, by this creek, and I'm going to have this cool thing. And, and Mario, he's going to, well, he bugs me sometimes. He's going to be 14 hills over there. and We'll hook up every other weekend or whatever and work on our unity and stuff. So, <laughs> no. The, the idea here, here, let me give you a visual, is like an apartment complex. Now, I know it's tough to swallow because if you guys remember those days, you know, apartment living isn't always the funnest thing. But in the Jewish culture, this was intimacy. This was awesome. It was intimate. It was intimacy all the way. And there's many dwelling places. And, and, and you would have basically, let's say you had the f- five sons, right? And so the first one got married, and he built an addition onto the main, con- the main house, right? Well, it came and the other guy got married, so he built an addition over here off the father's house. The other third one got married, he built this addition here. Well, listen, then eventually uh, all five of them, there's additions on the father's house and the, the complex got bigger. Well, and then eventually they would have kids and they would grow up and they would get married. And so guess what their sons had to do? Then they had to build an addition on that dad's house and this dad's house. And it was just a big, giant, a wonderful family. Now, if you haven't grown up in a good, godly family, that should be awesome news. And how many times during Christmas do you hear people dread Christmas because they don't have a family? Or they have a family, but they never get along. Or it always ends up in fight. Not what Jesus is building. It's a beautiful, awesome family complex. And that's what he's talking about here. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for what? For you. He's making a bridal chamber. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to what? I'm going to come again and receive to you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The exact verbiage he uses in a Jewish marriage ceremony, okay? And we've talked about this before, but I don't know about you, but if it took God six days to create the heavens and the earth, and by the way, what we see today is the cursed version, the messed up version after a global flood, and we still find majesty and beauty in it, amen? But if it took God six days to create all this, and Jesus has been working on a bridal chamber for 2,000 years? It's going to be pretty decked out. It's going to be awesome. Sparing no expense. It's going to be awesome. Now, he said he's going to come back. You know why? Because it's exactly the final phase of the Jewish marriage ceremony. He's fallen it to a T. The seventh phase is called the Nisuin or the taking. The Nisuin or the taking, okay? Now, once the bridal chamber was complete, okay, the father would inspect it, and then the father would give permission to say, okay, son, go get your bride. Now, again, you can see the wisdom in this, okay? He not only had to, again, prove that he could bring home the bacon, but he had to build this bridal chamber. And the father was the one who had the final decision on this because you, you can imagine just a young guy, he's all excited, right? He, they're, they're legally married, but he's just waiting to consummate the marriage, and all he's got to do, what? Do you, do you mean, I, all right, I got a job, okay? And all I got to do is go build this thing, this chamber, and we're done, what would he do? What would any guy do? You go back, you build like a lean-to, a shack, a cardboard shanty, right? You say, all right, I'm done. Woo! No, 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 no. That's why, to this day, in the Jewish culture, the father makes the decision. He inspects it. No, 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 no. Dude, start all over. Don't even dare use cardboard, right? <laughs> right? He's, Sorry, you just wasted a week, right? Start all over. And so the father would go, he would keep inspecting, he'd keep inspecting, and, keep, and then, then the, finally the day would come, now that's a bridal chamber. And the father would say, okay, son, go get her. Now, what's wild is that's exactly what Jesus meant when he made this statement. People tried to attack his deity. He was following the phases of a Jewish marriage ceremony. Matthew 24, 36. But about that day, when, when Jesus Christ comes back to get us, 
after the bridal chamber's done, uh, or hour, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Listen, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only who? Who gives permission? The father. And many people, unfortunately, they'll say, well, see, right here, Jesus can't be God because he didn't know something. Of course he's God, and of course he knows this, but in his humanity, he's sending you and I a message. Listen, he's following the phases of a Jewish marriage ceremony. Has nothing to do that he was not God. He is there, he's building our bridal chamber, and I don't know about you, but after 2,000 years, it's got to be getting close to being getting done. Uh, but when it gets done, the father says, "Woo! wow, look at that thing. Son, go get your bride. Now, the neat romantic thing about this was the Jewish bride had no idea when it was coming. Remember, they're already betrothed. They're legally married. She's showing her faithfulness and purity, right? He's got to go get the bacon, right, set up and, uh, and make this bridal chamber thing. But, it, it, but she didn't know. You know, the father didn't text her. Okay, he's on our way. No, that, didn't ha- that doesn't happen. So she didn't know. It could happen any time. You talk about romantic. Now, she always had to be ready for his sudden arrival, And we're going to get to this passage in a second. But that's why the Bible says about the foolish and the wise virgins, the wise ones what? Always had their lamp with oil ready to go. Why? So that they would have light to be able to travel. They were always in that state of preparation because maybe it's tonight. Maybe it's tonight. Okay? And and what would happen is this abduction, it was literally an abduction, would occur typically in the middle of the night. And literally the Jewish brides were stolen or whisked away into the middle of the night. Isn't that romantic? Okay, and, and when he did, he would take her, he would abduct her, he would whisk her away back to the father's house, to their bridal chamber, and they would consummate the marriage. Now, before they got there, okay, he was still a little ways off, right? The groom and his attendants would uh, make their way through the streets by torchlight, okay? And when they started to get pretty close, okay, they were still, you know, maybe several blocks away or whatever, okay, uh, they would announce their arrival, Right, and uh, the best guy typically would say, "Behold, the bridegroom cometh," and that was her first clue. Uh oh! But in case she didn't hear that, they would blow the traditional shofar trumpet. Whoa! And that was the signal. Get that lamp going. He's here. I've been waiting. Because she never knew when it was going to happen, and that was her only clue. Oh boy, he's right down the street, right? And, uh, and that's exactly what Jesus said is happening in this passage of Scripture. Matthew 25, 5 through 6. Now, while the bridegroom was what? Delaying. He's not delaying like he doesn't care. He's off building the bridal chamber, right? They all got what? Drowsy and began to sleep. Uh-uh, don't do that. But at midnight, what? There's a shout. He said the exact same thing that they'd say in a Jewish marriage ceremony. Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The exact same verbiage jesus used okay uh with that passage and guess what the bible says that's exactly what you and i uh need to be waiting for okay because our bridal abduction can happen at any time and you better be ready and you better not be sleeping it's called the rapture because that's what that word means did you know that okay and this is what paul says here again believe it or not this passage on the rapture is following the phases of a Jewish marriage ceremony. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a what? A shout. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Oh, oh. And then with what? With the trumpet of God. Exactly like a Jewish marriage ceremony. Right? And then what's going to happen? Then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up 
together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, the words there, caught up, is where we get our word rapture from, and it literally means a catching or a snatching away, listen, an abduction, a whisking away, just like in a Jewish marriage ceremony. There's no way, that's by chance, okay? And again, once the couple returned to the father's house, listen, they would consummate the marriage and celebrate their wedding feast for seven days. And the, the bride would be there remaining in her bridal chamber with the feast for seven days. Now, isn't it interesting that the Bible says that one day this planet is going to experience the worst time in the history of mankind? Jesus said that. It's called the seven-year tribulation. But just before that, as a bride of Christ, we get abducted, we get whisked away. And while we are enjoying our marriage feast with Jesus, the world, unfortunately, the unbelieving world who were not ready, they're experiencing God's wrath instead. Oh, they could have had it, but every day they scoffed at it. And every day they were not prepared. Now that's what Jesus is saying with this parable, once again in full context in Matthew 25. 1 through 13, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to what? To meet the bridegroom. Why? Because the announcements of the day, behold, the bridegroom comes. The, 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 the trumpet went off. Oh, wow. Oh, it's time. Oh. Five of them, though, were foolish, and five were what? Were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps. Okay, but they didn't what? They didn't have any oil with them, they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They were goofing off. Oh, they said they were ready. Oh, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah. No, you weren't. You were, you were fooling yourself. The wise, though, they took oil in their jars along with their lamps. They were ready to go at a moment's notice. Now, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. Jesus has been gone for about 2,000 years. And how many people are snoozing at the wheel? Right? But he warned about this. He said this, and he says, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish one said to the wife, hey, 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 we're not ready. We're not prepared. Uh, give us some of your oil. Our, our lamps are going to go out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're on their way uh, to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. They missed the boat. And the virgins who were ready, though, they went in with him to the what? The wedding banquet. And the door was shut. If you don't get saved now, and the rapture occurs today, the door will be shut. There is no second rapture. Okay? Later, the others came. Sir, sir. They said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. What? I don't know you. It's not I knew you once, but you goofed off, so you lost your salvation because you can't. I don't know you. You were fake the whole time. Oh, you were in that circle. Oh, you were right there with the rest of the virgins. You played the game. You talked the talk. But you weren't real. And you showed your true colors that you weren't real because you could give a rip about me and my return, and you weren't ready. Right? I don't know you. Therefore, what's the point? Jesus says, you better keep watch because you don't know the day nor the hour, but he is coming. But if you wait too long, you're going to wait too late. Isn't that wild? This is why me personally, I remember when I first got saved, I was all alone. It was just me and Jesus. I didn't know anything. I wasn't raised in the church. 
I just, I found a copy of the Bible and I started reading it. I figured that's what you're supposed to do as Christians. I started going to church services. I figured that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. And went to every service I'd get my hands on. I just wanted to learn. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't even hardly even explain it. But all I knew is, man, all my sins are forgiven. God delivered me from demons and drugs and immorality and all this stuff. And, and he loves me. And I got, I, I got a relationship with who? Listen, God, the creator of the universe. And just relishing that all by myself. I don't know about you, but it's never left me. And I praise God for that. That's why I look at the Bible, me personally, if Old New Testament, did you realize this is a divine romance book about how God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus that we could become his bride. It's a romance book. And all the things that God did and all the things he put up with and all the things, even when we were not worthy, he still did it so that his son can have a bride. This is, folks, what I look at the Bible as. It's a divine romance book. Okay, It's a cosmic love story of how God has made a way for us so that you and I can have a beautiful, intimate, loving, personal, bride-like relationship through Jesus Christ. Now, if we get that right now as the true meaning of his first coming, the birth of Jesus Christ, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, started it right at the beginning. Then I don't know about you, but you could have a whole lot of awesome joy, not just one day of the year, but every single day of the year, amen? Okay, but remember what Jesus said. You need to be ready. You need to make sure that you really belong to Jesus Christ. The good news is we can have a relationship with God right now. We can go with the rapture. We cannot be under the seven-year tribulation, the outpouring of God's wrath on this wicked and rebellious planet. But if you don't respond, and if you're just playing games, God, you can fool me, but you can't fool God. But if you're not truly a bride of Christ, the door's going to be shut. And you won't be going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're going straight into the seven-year tribulation. And even if somehow you could survive those seven years, the Bible's very clear, at the end of that, you will be harvested by the angels and chucked into hell. Why? Because the audacity of people who were sinners, cut off from God, undeserving of any of God's blessings. He sent his son. He died for us. And you have the audacity to say, man, make sure you're ready. Because one day, Jesus is going to finish that bridal chamber. And one day, the father's going to say, son, go get your bride. And if you're not his bride, you'll be left behind just like that. Like these people, let's take a look. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good.
Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come... Gets you every time, doesn't it? <laughs> Neat depiction, but let me remind you, that's really going to happen. The Bible is very clear, unfortunately, this very grave, sad news. There's two categories of people that go to church services. Did you know that? There's the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, the real and the fake. Those people weeping and gnashing. Oh, they were, where were they at? They weren't out in the world. They were in church services. They might have got dunked in water. But God knows the heart. And if you love Jesus, praise God, it's not a works-based salvation. But if you love Jesus, he says, you keep my commands. You at least try to live for him. But if you could give a rip about Jesus... You don't care about his return. You're off in the world and sin, false teaching, false teacher. You're not demonstrating any sense of purity or faithfulness. Something's wrong. And where's that fine line between a Christian who's backslidden versus somebody who professes to be a Christian and they're really not? Where's that line? I don't know. But God does. My point is this. The point of a Christian is to not see how close we can get to this world and somehow still be a Christian. It's how close can we get to our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, before we see him face to face. And if that's not your motive, you're flirting with that. Which means you need to make sure you're ready. Are you? Make sure today. And enter that beautiful bride-like relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy, and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. 
That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us 
this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.